France has experienced several weeks of social unrest since massive protests erupted across the country on November 17th in response to tax increases on gas and diesel, which were slated to take effect at the beginning of the new year. The Institute for Energy Research's policy director, Kenny Stein, happened to be in France at the onset of these protests. We sat down to discuss the issue along with our colleague, Jordan McGillis. You're listening to The Plugged In Podcast, a new project from the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome to The Plugged In Podcast. I'm Alex Stevens. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Jordan McGillis and Kenny Stein. And we're here to talk today about the protests in France over their recent carbon tax. Guys, thanks for joining me today. Bonjour. <laughs> Kenny, you were recently in Europe for a trip, and uh, from my understanding, you actually encountered the beginning of these protests while you were there. Um, les Gilets. Yeah. Right. It was actually, it just was very random. We just happened to be, uh, we were driving actually around in northern France, and so on the first day of the protest, which was November, it was a Saturday, uh, November 17th, I believe, uh, we just happened, we drove through a roundabout that was by the place we were staying, and we saw you know, one one of the entry roads into the roundabout was blocked by a truck and some people with yellow vests on, and I sort of looked at them, and I was like, oh, that's probably some sort of labor protest, probably some truckers or something protesting, who knows what, because I mean, we know the French love to protest. They love to strike the national sport. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. There's a, there's a strike every weekend type thing. <laughs> uh, so... Th- then the next day, uh, the Sunday, like we went off and we were, as we were coming back to our place, the our GPS kept showing all these delays, like 10 and 20 minute delays everywhere. And it kept trying to send us on these squirrely little routes all on these back roads. And I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. And uh, I ignored the GPS and just went back to the same roundabout that we went through because it was that was the easiest way to get to our place. This time... Sunday completely blocked. There were probably fifty people there. There were bonfires built up, and there were gates across all the roundabouts, and they were basically slowing down traffic. And they were letting people through like slowly, but you basically had to stop, and they'd move the gate out, and then you could go. And what was the demeanor like of the uh, provocateurs? Yeah, it was like I. Uh, I describe it to when when people ask like it was like a, it was like a neighborhood block party. It was like everyone, all these local folks, just sort of came to hang out in the roundabout, and they built a little fires, and a bunch of the lots of people had beers cracked, and they were, you know, they were just hanging out, having a good time. And there were there were some police hanging out there too, sort of supervising, just you know, just looking on. But it was very very calm, very happy. Like the folks were the protesters, the vest protesters were coming up to people's cars and. You know, people rolling down the windows, chatting about it. It was, it was. I mean, frankly, it was a festive atmosphere. I don't think we can make a one-to-one comparison of the the regions of France versus the regions of the United States, but that area of northern France where you encountered this is probably somewhat akin to the, to the U.S. Rust Belt, right? It's a. It was once a heavily industrialized area uh, that is slightly removed from the power center in Paris, and and might see a power disparity between the capital and and that region. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I, you know, it, it was Normandy, uh, which okay. it was right outside okay. the town of Cayenne, which I, th- I think that probably generally describes it. Yeah, France is. Yeah, perhaps France, not as industrialized on yeah. that side as the, the northeastern right. side. Right, France's industrial areas are, are scattered a bit about the, around the country, but I think it's certainly what what I think we've seen since then, the last couple of weeks, is that 
it's really it's about people away from the capital, away from Paris. People who like in Cannes, there's no there's no public transport. Well, there's buses, but there's no like metro. There's there's long distance trains, but there aren't like to the suburbs of town. There's no trains, so people have to drive. And I mean, out outside Paris and the other big cities, everyone has to drive. They rely on their cars, which is why this this protest initially was was about fuel taxes. I mean, that's really what sparked it. France already, it, it's noticeable, just we also filled up for gas in like Spain and other countries, and it was noticeable how much cheaper just crossing the border, suddenly the gas price plunged. Um, and it's because France taxes the hell out of their gasoline. <laughs> what were the uh, what were the actual uh, specifics of the new tax that they were that they had levied, or like what actually brought all this? Up? Right. Well, and this was sort of it was literally a straw that broke the camel's back type thing. There was some the next tax rise. There had already been tax rises for twenty eighteen for this year, and then there was another tax rise that was supposed to start January first, uh, twenty nineteen, and it was about uh, thirty cents. Uh, the equivalent about 30 cents per gallon for diesel and about 10 cents per gallon for gasoline. And that difference was intentional because it was intentionally to be more punitive on diesel gasoline. Our our fuel taxes, our gas tax here in the U.S., certainly not a good thing, but it's oriented at least nominally toward infrastructure. But this tax increase was explicitly about emissions reductions is that correct right well the way i mean the french taxes they go into the general fund there's no like in the u.s technically our gas taxes are routed into the highways trust fund and they're supposed to be spent on i mean obviously that gets gained a little bit but they're supposed to be sent, spent on roads and mass transit and stuff like that but in france it all goes into the general pot and it's literally it's just a tax and these macron president macron specifically pitched these tax increases as reducing fuel in order to meet their Paris climate commitment. So it is, it's a carbon tax. It's literally, it's trying to reduce consumption and emission of CO2 from cars. I think the day after all this started to um, happen, I came in here and I was talking to Jordan and uh, obviously we were interested in the story, but it gets into something that proponents of carbon taxes don't really tend to address is that at the end of the day, if you impose a carbon tax, the average person just sees rising prices and your ability to deal with that politically is a problem for policymakers. And it's not something that they ever really address. So right. well, it, yeah. I would challenge that, that they, they don't address it. I think that they, they realize there's that problem. Um, the French blew it. I mean, American proponents of carbon taxes are now discussing what they call the fee and dividend because they see that the price increase uh, is going to be very unpopular. So they're trying to reframe this as a something that's going to benefit people who are on the, the poorer end of the spectrum. Right. That's um, the game. And so these protests in France have uh, actually raised the profile of the, the fee and dividend style of carbon tax here in the U.S. Um, and that's what we see from groups like the Climate Leadership Council uh, at the national level and at the local level. I know here in D.C. there's a group um, called Put a Price on It D.C., and they intend to, to lure support from uh, working class people with a massive, uh, essentially, redistribution. So from the perspective of these folks here in, here in the U.S., the French just went about that wrong and should have seen that as an obvious problem. Well, the, the one thing, though, is that that's, it depends on how you design it. Because what you saw in France, it's not just – it wasn't the poor that was out there protesting. These were, these were middle class folks that – 
you know, they're all, all employed. They're, some of them were working class. Some of them, the truckers obviously are affected by the fuel taxes. So the truckers were very involved. But these were regular people that they just have to drive to work or they have to, they have to commute into town or they have to drive to go shopping because, you know, they don't live. Their local stores have closed and they have to drive to a care for or something. So it's some of these rebate pro- programs are designed to, you know, rebate money just to the poor. That's sort of the, the, the Washington state carbon tax that failed. But the problem is, is that the everyone feels this, and middle class folks feel it too. They notice these the higher prices. So unless you, some of the proposals are give everyone a check, but right. but that's that's not the that's not the common ones. That's not the one well, that's been voted on. I think it's in Washington. important to to emphasize that even the. Uh, so-called rebate that would go equally to, to all households is still a redistribution uh, because the people who are spending more are not being rebated for what they spent. They're just being rebated the same as everyone else. And right. spending tends to correlate with, uh, with wealth or with income. But I, I think you still run into the political problem, though, because there's the period between when you initiate the tax and when people will receive this rebate, right? So... There's going to be some period of time where people are just going to see rising energy prices and, you know, you can communicate to them, well, you're going to receive a rebate, but, you know, not everybody is plugged into every single policy thing out there and trying to get an entire country to understand the intricacies of a, yeah. of a carbon tax. Yeah, you know, right, exactly. it, it's just not, right. it's not practical. Yeah. I'm, my, but, I'm just not sure it's, yeah. it's that intricate. I mean, it's, if you tell people they're going to get a monthly check, they don't need to know where that is money it, is coming from. Is it from. supposed to be a monthly check? That's how most of them would be. A um, no, most of them are monthly. Okay. So it's not like you'd be waiting till the next fiscal year on your or, or until your tax returns um, are filed. It, it would be monthly with most of the plans. So it really does worry me as, as an opponent of the carbon tax because I think a lot of people will find that style appealing. Um, but as our recent study shows, uh, the study produced by Capital Alpha Partners, the fee and dividend or rebate approach is actually the least economically efficient of any carbon tax. So they're all bad. This one is particularly bad because of the way that it utilizes that revenue. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with you that people are going to make that connection. I'm sort of with Alex. I I think that people are going to see rising prices and yeah, you're going to be like, oh yeah, but you're getting a check in exchange. But just most people don't have the math skills to try and figure out whether they're coming out ahead or behind. They're just noticing that Everything's more expensive. Everything's more expensive, and I, maybe I get whatever fifty or a hundred bucks a month. But you know, if they see higher prices every single day, and then at some point in the future they get a little bit of money, I I, I think psychologically that's a real, I don't that's think a good that point. And, and I would also uh, bring up something we've talked about, Alex, is um, that simply doing the math of oh somebody spends this much on energy uh, and they're going to get this this so-called dividend, which exceeds that, that doesn't really mean they're going to be better off because their choices are completely changed by the carbon tax. That's really important. Yeah, to that's right. as well. There's a deadweight yeah. loss to that. Yeah. It's important for people to feel like they have, well, it's important for people to know that they have access to energy fuel, especially because, you know, people who don't live in areas that have access to electric scooters yeah electric scooters <laughs> and uh you know the the metro or things like that you know they, they they rely on having to drive places and you know we can have conversations about you know the way that we fund roads and stuff and that's an important part of that, that discussion but at the end of the day 
the world that we live in right now, people rely on cars to get them to work, to get them to do the things yeah. that they're interested in doing in their lives. So when you threaten that with the tax or other policies, the reaction to it is going to be similar to what we're seeing in France. Well, I think that's that's actually a really good point, Alex. And I think that I think this connects back to France between the rural and the urban. In in it's the same way in the U.S. Like in the U.S., if you're in a city, you you there are some options to reduce your energy consumption. You're like you can you can make adjustments, but if you're living in the suburbs or in a rural area, you you don't have a choice to drive less. You have you have to drive. Or if you live in a cold out in the middle of nowhere in a cold weather climate, you're you're cost more to heat your house than if you're in a multi unit apartment building where everyone's everyone's heat sort of heats everyone else. So yeah, p- people that live outside cities tend to have higher uh, energy needs, and they don't have the alternative. So they're going to face higher prices, and then it ends up being a bit of a wealth transfer from the suburbs and rural areas to people in the cities. I think something people would say though to push back on us would be that you know people should be moving to cities, then, which <laughs> right? Well, you yeah. know. Is... <laughs> That's the social engineering aspect yeah. of it, yeah. And they, sh- they shouldn't be driving cars, and they should be moving in more dense housing and all that kind of thing. But I'd say, I'd say that in a free country, uh, I, I'd prefer that people have that choice. <laughs> Something that's um, on my mind here, it's not fully formulated, we'll see where this goes, is the cultural similarities and differences um, between France and the United States that surround these sort of issues of... Uh, the so-called elites and the the so-called common people, um, they're not exactly the same in the dynamics. Here in the U.S., um, at least now, here in 2018, the the people who are embodying that kind of common man perspective seem to be supporters of Donald Trump and tend to be further to the right generally and tend to be anti-tax across the board, anti-welfare state. But in France and the other European countries, the people who are opposed to these taxes, they're often combining that with their opposition to what they see as a weakening of the welfare state. Um, I saw that in in Belgium and the Netherlands where these protests have spread to. They've kind of brought several different issues to the fore. And so it's not exactly like what we see here politically. It's yeah. happened with the the French protesters as well. It I mean, has, they, okay. they they they've added to their demands. They want an increase in the minimum minimum wage. Right, and, and that was they Macron agreed to something right. along cons- those lines. Yeah, he gave but, some concessions to try and address that. But yeah, that I mean, the, so it's not a it's not a free market movement. It's an anti. Right. They see it as an anti elite movement. Right. Oh no, I, no, I think that's the that's an important distinction, but. Uh, yeah, in in France, it's a protest against the the wealthy elites uh, like Macron living in Paris, who are lording it over the rest of the country. And there's there's a little bit of that in the U.S., but it's yeah, it's a little different dynamics. But I but I'd actually say that's why this has broken out into a protest first in France, is because that one they have a cultural protest, a historic cultural protest, but they also they're in a more more dire situation, and so these. The carbon taxes are, they're start and and France is furthest along in the carbon tax effort too. So they're that's they're feeling the pain, but this is the sort of pain that everyone will feel if you continue to impose these policies. And eventually, it reaches a breaking point. Now it'll be a different kind of breaking point in every country. But I, yeah, this may be beyond any of the three of ours' knowledge. But uh, is there any 
sort of border adjustment within um, the European common market on these sorts of things? Or is France just basically forcing uh, businesses to, to move to nearby countries that have lower taxes and um, well, fewer for, restrictions on these things? Well, for gas taxes, there, there isn't. Mm-hmm. And, and people, that, people that live close enough will pop across the border to, you know, to get cheaper gas. Like, mm-hmm. that absolutely happens. Uh, as far as the industrial stuff, the, the EU has wider climate change mandates. So I'm not sure how much of that really happens, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, places like France and Germany or the Netherlands already have higher costs, like labor costs and employment costs. So adding on higher energy costs, I think that does make a difference in moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm not sure how much emissions arbitrage there is within the eu just mm-hmm. because they have a pretty unified regulatory right. process on that. right and it, if there were it still may not affect france much as a pretty large geographic country people aren't going to be moving you know leaving the center of france to to go get gas in, in a right. nearby country certainly but right. you know some of the smaller countries in the benelux area they may actually do that regularly i don't know yeah well that's i mean one of the things that andorra does is they uh don't have taxes on fuel so their gas is dirt cheap, but you so got to drive up do, those mountains to do get there. People do sneak across the border to get to get gas that live close enough. That's definitely true. Uh, but the the other thing I, I just to point out is like what we were saying is that yeah the the protests have expanded into there's a lot of grievances now that are all wrapped up in it. It's an anti elite movement now, but still every day and that's what like the, the protests in Paris have become an anti elite you know rioting protest, but still the the greater part of these protests is blocking roads and taking over toll booths, like basically denying denying revenue to the state uh, as a as a retaliation for these tax rises. Because in addition to having high gas taxes, which they're really high, most of the main truck roads in, in France are, have ridiculously high tolls on them. There's taxes on purchasing cars. There's tax. I mean, there's all there's taxes everywhere on the transportation <clears throat> system. So one of their biggest revolts has been to take over toll booths and wave people through for free i actually well, uh, took advantage of that at a couple toll booths too where they basically we just stopped for a couple minutes and then they waved us through and saved five six seven euros per toll booth um and it's literally it's a retaliation against the state to deny them that revenue well it, it shows too that whenever there's political momentum for something everybody's going to try right. and jump on right. it so you know if it, if it were going the other way and people were demanding a carbon tax, right? We'd see the same thing. We'd see a bunch of other political things jump on and try to take advantage of that political momentum. And that's something that we worry about. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, the most persistent, but I, the one thing though, is that the, these types of persistent, passionate protests that are tend to be, you're usually not asking the government to take more money from them or raise their taxes. It tends to be lower the taxes or give us money. And that I, that's kind of a problem with the carbon tax. I'm not sure you're going to see protests clamoring for right, carbon right, yeah. tax. Really <laughs> difficult to imagine. But that, that prompts another thought in my mind, which is that uh, advocates for mitigation of, of our carbon emissions may shift their attention from the tax back to a more command and control regulatory approach because it's more hidden right, yeah. from the average person. And that's, that's a concern in its own right. Honestly, we've already, we're already seeing that with some of the, there's some of the green advocates on the left are basically, I've been rubbishing 
a lot of the carbon tax discussion. Right, and they, because, they've, never, yeah. they've never really been on board with it for two reasons. The first reason is that they believe that it's regressive. And then the second reason is that they don't think it does enough to get to the level of emission reduction that they want to see. So as we said, they would prefer to have uh, a lot more command and control, maybe in addition to a carbon tax. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's, that's definitely, they prefer it to be, to be hidden. That one, it gives them more power, and two, it, they, they hope that they can, they can hide the cost of the actions that they're trying to take. Right. And down the line, if they want to make changes to it, too, it's easier to... Right, to, yeah, exactly. Okay, guys, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out going forward, and uh, thanks for coming in and talking today. Merci, yeah. à tout à l'heure. <laughs>